In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Amen. I want to give you a quick summary of one aspect of the Old Testament that's related to our epistle reading today and the gospel reading. In the Old Testament, God calls Moses to go and free his people from slavery in Egypt so that they can go to the wilderness and worship God. They were in Egypt, and in Egypt, they were not free to worship the one God. They, they worshiped the many gods of the Egyptians because of enculturation, because they were influenced by the culture around them. So God told Moses, take them out of Egypt so that they can worship me. Now, is this a battle of the one God against the many gods? Is this a battle of the God of Israel versus the gods of the Egyptians? Is it because God needs to be worshipped and he doesn't have enough human subjects to worship him, so he's calling Israel? This is not like that at all. God does not need anybody to worship him. He commands us to worship him for our own good, and I'll explain why in the course of my homily. The whole Old Testament is about God training his people to worship him and him alone, and no other God and nothing else instead either. It's a battle between true worship versus false worship, between worship of the one true God versus worship of false idols. And one of the ways that the Old Testament portrays this battle is when Israel is worshiping the one God, they do well. When Israel is worshiping idols, false gods, they begin to do poorly. So, for example, when Moses and the Israelites are in battle and they have the Ark of the Covenant with them, this is the dwelling place of God in the Old Testament, they do well. When the Ark of the Covenant leaves, when they no longer care enough about it to sustain it or to, to protect it, all of a sudden Israel begins to lose a whole bunch of wars. When they're worshiping the one God, they remain in the land that God, that, that God gave to them. When they start falling into idolatry, the Assyrians come in and they capture them. Then the Babylonians come in and they capture them. So in the Old Testament, good and poor fate is very much associated with worship of the one true God or worship of idols. If you worship the one God, you'll be blessed. If you worship many gods, false gods, you will be cursed. This is kind of the theme of the Old Testament. But as we go through the prophets, and then eventually into the New Testament, we realize something. The reason why it's good to worship one God, and it's really evil to worship other gods, to have idols, it's not because it's this kind of tick for tat, where you'll find good fortune if you worship one God, and you will find bad fortune if you don't worship the one God. It's not about fortune so much as it has to do with nature. When human beings do what they're made to do, things go well for them, generally speaking. Because when we worship the one God, we are free people. God frees us. When we worship idols, we become enslaved to them. 
That's what the Old Testament, the whole message of the Old Testament, can in a, in, in a way be summarized by that statement. And St. Paul, in the epistle reading from today, from the letter to the Romans, kind of alludes to this as well. When he says to the Romans that are now Christians, you are no longer bound by the spirit of slavery. You are no longer slaves. You have been freed in Christ Jesus so that now you have received the spirit of sonship. You are now sons and daughters of God. You are, you are now children of God. And he goes on to say, so long as you suffer with him. But what does that mean, that we are now sons as opposed to slaves? Well, we were slaves when we worshipped many gods. Now we are children, and children are free. Imagine in a, a house, you know, in a, in, a, in a state, in ancient cultures, the master of the estate had kids, but he also had dozens and dozens and dozens of servants. And the servants would live in the house just like the kids would live in the house, except they would be servants, they'd be slaves while the sons and the daughters were elevated, privileged people that did not serve the way the servants did. That's the comparison that St. Paul is making. We are no longer slaves to the elemental spirits of the world, to idols. We are now privileged sons and daughters of God in the estate called the kingdom of heaven. That's a very long intro, but I'm going to get to my homily now. What does it mean that we're sons? It means that Jesus has made us co-heirs with him. Jesus is the son of God, and he has received the kingdom from the Father, just like in any earthly kingdom. He receives the, the whole kingdom, everything from God the Father. But, for example, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says to his disciples, I declare to you, I impart to you, I pass on to you a kingdom. You will sit on thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. This is to what height Jesus has elevated all of his disciples, you and me. And it's an amazing promise. We, we're on an amazing journey, a great trajectory. We have this end, this, uh, this promise that's given to us, that's going to be handed on to us, infinitely beyond our imagination. You and I, if we make it to heaven, hopefully by the grace of God, we will be living in a manner infinitely beyond anything that we can conceive of. Words can't describe it. That's what's promised to us, because what's promised to us is that we will be elevated to the status of sons and daughters, and therefore to the status of royalty. The son of the king is a prince. The daughter of the king is a princess. That's what you and I are called to be. But the temptation is always, in human history, not just the Old Testament, in human history, it's always to idolatry. We always have idols. Now they're not in the form of statues and representations of animals that we feed or offer incense to or worship in a temple or something like that. But we have new forms of idols. The devil always gives us something to worship other than God. And they come in the form of the internet. They come in the form of social media. Have you ever tried to give up the internet for an entire day and just not go online for an entire day? And have you seen how you kind of react to it? That's idolatry. Have you ever tried to take away social media from a 16-year-old 
That's idolatry. The result is idolatry. Sorry to say it. Have you ever given up something that you're really, really attached to? That's idolatry. And that's what God wants to free us from. The attachment to the point of not being able to detach, the attachment to the point of not being able to take a break from something means that we're stuck in Egypt the way the Israelites were, and we can't get out, we can't go out to the wilderness to worship God. We're too distracted. When I gave this homily this morning, people came up to me and they said, I'm glad you're hitting the internet. It has nothing to do with the internet per se. Internet or social media or gambling or drugs or alcohol or sex or pornography or whatever you want, all these things are just examples of the same devil that manifests himself by different ways so, so that we don't worship the one God and therefore are not free anymore and we find ourselves enslaved by something else instead. In the gospel reading, Jesus alludes to this and elucidates it as well. He gets into it with the temple authorities. They say to him, by what authority do you do these things, flipping the tables in the temple? And he says, well, if, I'm gonna, if you answer my question, I'll answer yours. And they don't answer his question. They don't say, oh, the baptism of John is from heaven or from men. They don't answer that question because they don't care about the truth. And Jesus says, well, if you don't care about the truth of the baptism of John, I don't care to give you the truth about my authority. But I have a parable for you. A man had two sons. He went to the first and he said, go work in the vineyard. And he said, I'll not go. But then he repented and he went. To the second son, he said, go into the vineyard and work. And the second son said, yeah, I'll go. But then he didn't end up going. Who did the will of the father? The first. I hope we are all the first son. Notice that neither of them are perfect. Neither of the two sons are perfect, and yet they're both sons. And they're good examples of the relationship between us and God the Father. Neither of them are perfect. The first one messed up. He said, looked at his father in the face and said, I'm not going to do it. But then he woke up, repented, and then he went. I hope we are that guy. Because every day we look at God in the face and we tell him, no, I'm not going to do the thing that you want me to do. I will rather do this other thing. I will rather commit this sin. I will rather not talk to this person. I will rather get angry right now and really frustrated. I will rather do a million other things, but I don't want to do what you want me to do. I hope that when we do that, we wake up and we're able to say, sorry, God, and then turn around and do the right thing. As opposed to the second son who just pretends himself away. Yeah, I'll go. Of course I would go. Why wouldn't I go? Of course. I'm an obedient son. I'm, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be good. I'm good. And then doesn't end up doing anything. Is actually, in reality, disobedient. Of course, the first one is the one that did the will of his father, and Jesus uses him as an example. We live now in probably the most disobedient culture in human history. And I don't mean kids only. I do mean kids, but I mean kids and adults. How many people in society today are actually obedient or care about or think about the law of God? How many think about virtue, what the right thing to do is for its own sake? Not very many at all. We live in an extraordinarily disobedient culture. 
And because of that, it's collapsing in on itself because disobedience means slavery and obedience means freedom. Because disobedience means worshiping false idols. And obedience means worshiping the true God. In return, God frees us. No matter what, we will be serving someone. If we value above all things our own personal freedom, we guarantee our slavery. If we value above all things doing the will of God, we guarantee our freedom. It's a paradoxical relationship. Brothers and sisters, to do the will of God means to be faithful in the small things, means to look at God, to be cognizant, aware, always aware of what God wants, and especially the smallest of things. For a father to just be there at home with his kids and read them a book, for a mother to just merely be there with her husband and with her children and whatever, do anything that, that she needs to do to serve them. For children merely to be there with each other and with their parents. For a friend to reach out and just say, you know what, you're not alone, I'm here for you, man. These are all the smallest things that God asks us to do. And these are the things that will free us. These are the things that, makes, that make us sons and daughters of God. But the idolatry of the world and the distractions that are in them, they're always enticing us as they did in the Old Testament. And they'll always try to oppress us and try to enslave us. Let us rather seek God and seek his will and seek out to do his will in all things. Even if we mess up, let us repent and always go back to the will of God. Amen.